evening just take a few of these scriptures to refresh our memories of those unshakable facts of which we spoke last week. First of all, 1 Peter, 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 23 and verse 25. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 23 and 25. Having been begotten again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which liveth and abideth. Verse 25. But the word of the Lord abideth forever. There is the great unshakable fact, the word of the Lord abideth forever. We could, of course, add to that something which is not here on the board. John chapter 1 and that great verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There is the unshakable fact. Not only the Word of God in its written form, but the Word of God incarnate. The Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Then we turn to John chapter 17. And verse 17. Sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. I think we all agree that our sanctification is an absolutely vital part of our salvation, of our so great and so full salvation. And it is the purpose of God having saved us to set us apart, to set us apart from the world, from the devil, from the flesh, from ourselves, our self-life, and not just to set us apart from things, but to set us apart unto him, to be his. As the Apostle Paul put it, I have betrothed you as a virgin to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you may be presented to him, set apart. Now, how is this process of sanctification to, um, to go on? I mean, how are we to be sanctified? We're not going to be sanctified by feelings. We're not going to be sanctified by opinions. We're not going to be sanctified by viewpoints, even of scriptural things or doctrinal things. We are sanctified by the word of God unshakable facts, not just the um, written word as such, although that's tremendous, we must be quite clear on that, um, but what the written word expresses. It's not the actual words themselves, but what it expresses. That's the great unshakable fact. Now, 
In this book, we have the expression of eternal truth and reality. Everything else is a phantom. Everything else is transient. Everything else is time-bound. Everything else is corruptible. Everything else will pass away. There's a time set for its finishing, its ending, its termination. But what is in this book concerning God and concerning his purpose, that will go on forever. The word of the Lord liveth and abideth. The word of the Lord abideth forever. And it is through that word that we shall be sanctified. Right, let's move on. 2 Peter 1. 2 Peter 1. And verse, chapter 1, verse 16 and 19. We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 19. And we have the word of prophecy made more sure, more sure, Whereunto ye do, ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawn, and the day star arise in your hearts. Now that's very wonderful, because the day star speaks of a new day, and there's a new day coming, the day of God. And we're told, take heed, take heed to this word of prophecy which is made more sure unto us, more certain more fixed, more secure unto us, until that day star arrives. It can't be so far off, the day star that's going to arise, uh, when the final herald of the coming of the Lord uh, we see. Well, that will be tremendous. Now let's look at John 14, verse 6. We go back on another little series. John 14, verse 6. Jesus said unto him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The word I want you just to underline is Jesus said, I am the truth. Not I point to the truth, not I preach the truth, but I am the truth. Now, chapter 16, verse 13. And as we've often said, think of the word reality when you think of the word truth as well. So that you not only think of doctrine and uh, the Bible and so on, but you think of reality, the truth, reality, bedrock, um, what is not artificial, what is real. Chapter 16, verse 30, how be it? When he, the spirit of truth or reality, has come, he shall guide you into all the truth. That is, it is the Holy Spirit's ministry to lead us out of the artificial, out of the unreal, out of the fanciful, into the real, the permanent, the eternal, the genuine. Now let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 21. Ephesians 4 verse 21. 
if so be that ye heard him and were taught in him, even as truth is in Jesus. If so be that ye heard him and were taught in him, even as truth is in Jesus. And then lastly, this gem of a word in 1 John 5, which I fear is often overlooked, and yet it's so wonderful. We will read verse 19 and 20. 1 John 5, 19 and 20. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in the evil one. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we know him that is true and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God. And eternal life. Wonderful words. What confidence, what simplicity of confidence. He has given us an understanding that we know him that is true. The first thing is to know him that is the real, the reality. And we are in him that is true. That is the second great thing. We're in the reality. We just don't just know about it, but we're in it. The true God and eternal Life. Well, I think um, that's perhaps just enough. Then we'll sing another hymn. Well, now this evening, to take this matter just a little step further from last week by the grace and enabling of God. What we said last week was this, that everything is based on unshakable facts. And those facts are not visible to the naked eye. But just because they are not visible to the naked eye, tangible to our physical sense, that does not mean for one single instant that they are less real. In fact, it is these invisible facts that are the unshakable ones and the ones that, in fact, finally influence everything. Now, only the eye of faith can see the unshakable facts concerning God, concerning his Christ, concerning his redeemed people, concerning his great purpose, concerning the future. Only the eye of faith can see it. And this is the whole problem. We Christians start off by accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. What are we doing? We are accepting someone who lived 2,000 years ago. Can you see him? No. Have you seen him? No. Have you physically talked with him? Do you know the color of his hair? Have you seen the color of his skin? Do you know what his, the fa his facial features are like? No. How come you've been saved by him? We can't answer a question such as the, the, the... We can't answer the first type of question. We know that we've been saved by him. 
We cannot see him. We cannot handle him physically. We cannot see him with these physical eyes. But the fact of the matter is, he is the reality in this world. And there are people that seem to be so real, Mr. Brezhnev, Mr. Kosygin, if we wanted to, we could see them with our physical eyes. We could touch them, uh, possibly, if we were high enough up in the diplomatic service, with our hand. We can see the Queen. We can perhaps even have our hand shaken by the Queen sometime during our life. Uh, we might think that Mr. Brezhnev or Queen Elizabeth or President Nixon are the realities in this world because they are seen, they are located, and they can be touched, but they are not. The reality is something that cannot be seen with this eye and cannot be touched with this physical hand. Unshakable facts. God has based everything on a foundation of reality. God is truth. And everything about God is reality. And the tragedy of this world is that man chose a course that led him into an intrinsic and inherent unreality. So that the Bible says, the whole world lieth in the evil one and speaks of a lie being sewn into the very fabric of mankind. So that all of us, when we're saved, we've got a lie inside of us, in our bloodstream, if you like. Not the reality, we've got a lie. Not the truth, but a lie. And as Christians, don't we have a lot of trouble with that old lie? My whispers all kinds of things to us about God. It tells us that God is mean because we wouldn't dream of saying so. That's why we can't praise him sometimes. Because it's his whispers that he's mean. If you let him take over your life, he'll ruin it for you. He'll take all the joy out of it and all the peace out of it and you'll have nothing but suffering and conflict and, and uh, you'll never get what you want and so on and so forth, but we won't stop there to talk about that. There are, of course, primary facts and secondary facts. And these are the primary facts. We spoke about them last week. These great primary facts. Now, last week, you will see I've added, because from the suggestion of one or two, I have added this and this and this. So there are three... Uh, Facts we've added to these primary facts. Here they are, eightfold. The coming of Christ, the great primary fact. The life and ministry of Christ. Now I'll leave you to look up these verses here. I supplied those. And then the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, the obtaining and giving of the promise, the building of God's home, and the second coming of Christ. Now, these eight facts, and I'm very glad they come to eight, because that speaks of a new beginning, a resurrection, of a new day. Seven days complete, start again on a new day. Eight. For those of you who know anything about Bible numbers, it's rather lovely. So God has undone all the old 
and has started on something altogether new. What, what in the Bible is called the day of God. The new day of God. Now these are primary facts. Now what do we mean by primary facts? They are fundamental facts. They are foundational facts. They are the mainspring, the source, out of which everything else comes. This is basic reality. Now if you want to take three that are the core, even of these eight, we take these three. The death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the ascension of Christ. Those are the three, the heart, if you like, of the eight. Everything comes out of that. There is nothing at all in our salvation that does not stem from these that and from those three. Primary facts. What do we mean by secondary facts? We don't mean that these facts are less important in one sense. What we mean are that these are derived facts. In other words, these facts would not be here but for these. These are the mainspring. These are derived from these. So because of this, we have all the secondary facts. And last week we spoke of full salvation. We spoke of victory. <clears throat> we spoke of freedom. We spoke of the promise of the Holy Spirit. And uh, anyone who felt they came into one of those categories in great need, we just said, now then, just say so. And we'll pray together for you. We'll fellowship together and pray for one another that if someone's not free, they may be free by the grace of God. And if someone uh, wants to come into the promise of the Father, they may come right into it in, in, in reality. Know the fullness and power of the Holy Spirit. Or if they need victory in some situation, that they might know it. Well, now I'm quite sure because some have said to me, Oh dear, I feel I should have stood up. Well, now you see, God has times. And if we were going to start all over again there, we will go back to last week and that would be poor. But you know, you don't have to do anything about that. You've just got to, in your heart, say, Lord, that's just what I need. And I, tonight, will stand into that. Because, you see, the fact is all these things, our full salvation, and everything within our full salvation, victory, freedom, or the promise of the Father, promise of the Spirit, all these are derived facts. They come out of this. The Lord Jesus has done the work. The Lord Jesus came to give us all this. The Lord Jesus died and rose again that we might be in the good of this. God has no satisfaction in unreality. And when he sees anything artificial or unreal about it, he has no joy at all. Why? Because he knows the fire will burn it up. Does God, does God want to see two-thirds of Christian lives burnt up in a great bonfire at the end? Sort of people crawling into the portals with just that little bit of God in their lives? Of course not. He wants to see that there's gold and silver and Precious stone in the light, that which will go through the fire, that which is of God, that which is in the city, that which has provided the material for the habitation of God. Well, there we are. Primary facts, secondary facts. All these things come out of that. Tonight, I want to talk more, well, a little, and introduce, and then I want you to start doing some work again and be very free and open and honest. So if we're not, the time will be a, a horrible failure. But if we're all open and free, then God will greatly use us, uh, use this time. Now then, 
I want to speak this evening, last week we spoke of the personal side. This evening I want to speak a little more about the corporate side. How do these great primary effects, uh, facts affect us together as a company? What are the problems we face as a company? What are the things that we feel are great needs amongst us as a people? Can we say that these things are dealt with here? If we can say that these problems we are facing as a people are dealt with here, thank God we've got the victory already. The victory is up there. What we've got to do is get it down here. That's all. Don't you see that? Well, of course, I mean, you'll dance on the rooftop if you do. Because suddenly you see the thing's done. These are facts. Except for this last, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the last one, the whole lot's uh, a definite, established fact. I suppose we would say the building of God's home, second coming of Christ. Primary facts, secondary facts. Now last week, we went through some of these scriptures. I'm not going to do that, except to take this one, Hebrews 11.1. 1. You remember that most difficult verse in the New Testament, or one of the most difficult verses in the New Testament. Faith is, authorized version, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Jay and Darby, I think, probably gives us the very best rendering. Faith is the substantiating of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, what we were saying last week is this. There can be no faith without fact. God doesn't say, now then, get a feeling. Work up a feeling. Go to a meeting. Get into the atmosphere. Get along with the swings. Everyone sort of swings backwards and forwards. And then you'll be swept in. Indeed, sometimes you hear it talked about like this. We must have some chorus and so at the beginning to get everyone into the atmosphere. Swing them in. <laughs> and of course the point is there that when that happens, as in anything, you can kid yourself that you're believing. Everyone sort of gets wafted away and it seems for a moment that you're on Pisca's Mount and you're looking over the whole of the promised land and it's yours. Well, thank God for times when we do. But you know, I'm afraid, the trouble is there's always a Monday morning. And then we come right bang down to reality and cold facts. And then we start to hanker for an atmosphere as if that atmosphere was reality. And that's wrong. What we've got to face is that faith is a very cold-blooded thing. Indeed. Why you think of a man like Watchman Nee in four walls for 17 years? And what has he got? Not only living faith, but a faith which is functioning. Now that's faith. That is God-given faith. Because like the Apostle Paul, he can say, I am being offered on the, as a sacrifice on the altar of your faith. Something's happening. Do you see? Like the Apostle Paul, when he was in prison, he said, writing, Oh, pray for me. I am in such terrible... No, he didn't. He said, rejoice! And again I say, rejoice. What words? They smite us all, don't they? There are you at that little kitchen sink, 
And uh, you can't rejoice. There are you at that office job and you can't rejoice. There was the apostle chained. And the other end there was a, a crude, arrogant, uncouth Roman soldier. And there he was dictating a letter. Rejoice. And again I say rejoice. Not you ought all to rejoice. Think of me. <laughs> I am here in prison chained to a, to a soldier. He never leaves me day or night. Think of the luxury of freedom you've got. You ought all to rejoice. But he said, no, rejoice again. I say, rejoice. Now, because of that spirit of living faith in the man, he wrote letter after letter after letter. Supposing dear old Paul had just gone under and said, I don't know. These unshakable facts, I think they're a bit shaken. I don't know, but I hear the churches in Asia have turned away. I hear that there's a problem here and a problem there. I hear that so-and-so's left the work. I hear that so-and-so's gone back. I hear that that wretched man, that sorcerer, who I always did think was a mixed-up crazy kid, when he got saved, is causing such a lot of trouble. I wonder whether these facts perhaps are a bit more shakable than I thought. I'm sure the, the Apostle Paul was tempted now and again, but he endured as seeing him who is invisible. In other words, that man, that prison, those prison walls were not there. The chain was not there. The soldier It was the sanctuary of God. He says it. He says it in these words, for to me to live is Christ and to die gain. And he speaks as if somehow or other that little cell there is a place of prayer and a place of worship and a place of instruction and a place of education. What's wrong with the man? No wonder some um, atheistic uh, psychiatrists have suggested that the Apostle Paul was the greatest, greatest case of hallucination in history. It is perfectly understandable. Man talking about glory and God and everything else. The facts were he was in a rat-infested, stinking little cell without any sanitation, chained to an uncouth soldier who was with him day and night, 24 hours. And out of that came all those tremendous letters that make up our New Testament. I say that man saw something, and when it, what he saw was so eternal and so unshakable that everything else was phantom. I think it was Len Moles who always used to say, um, uh, uh, and still does, I have no doubt, uh, that the Apostle Paul could say to the soldier, I've got more right to be here on my end of the chain than you have to be on your end. This is God's appointment as far as I am concerned. So I'll rejoice. Now we can talk like that, but how can anyone? You know as well as I do from your own circumstances. It is absolutely impossible, isn't it? We're not built like that. Well then, shall we then decide that the Apostle Paul was quite unique? He was one of those extraordinary characters that really is above and beyond all of us. I don't think so. 
I think there's enough in the New Testament for us to see that the Apostle Paul was a man like we, of like passions as we. He did some rather silly things now and again. And as I said, I think the other week, there he is saying, in one letter, I nearly tore up that letter after I'd written it because I thought I was too hard. And after I'd sent it to you, oh, I had such a bad time. Little did he know that it was the word of God. He was talking about tearing up. It was the first letter of Corinthians. <laughs> and there in his second letter, he was saying, I had such a bad time about it. So he was like us. And then, of course, they used to taunt the Apostle Paul by saying, he writes mighty letters. When he's sitting down behind a table with no one there, my word, the authority. But when he's with us, he's rather despicable. In other words, the faults and everything else are rather a paddle. Nothing to look at. And he's rather sort of all over you. Rather sort of intense. And so, on. so, I mean, you see, that's the kind of man the Apostle Paul was. Wonderful, really, isn't it? Human vessel. Earthen vessel. Well, now, what I'm trying to just simply say is that Unless we see facts, we have no faith. And that's why faith is the substantiating of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, he, Moses endured of seeing him who is invisible. Um, our light affliction worketh for us an exceeding and eternal weight of glory, whilst we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. But oh, to have eyes to see the eternal. Eyes to see the invisible. A heart that has been so open to God that we've seen these great unshakable facts. Now, bless my heart and soul, there's not a person in this room who's been saved who hasn't actually come that way. So all of you have had the experience. You knelt before someone you didn't see. You mouthed words to someone who, uh, humanly speaking, lived 2,000 years ago, and something happened. Otherwise, what are you doing here? Something happened. You know it in your heart. Something happened in you. You got saved. God brought you to himself. If only we could continue like that. If we could only have eyes to see, if you turn to Revelation 12 and verse 11, I want just to underline one phrase in this very well-known verse. Reve Revelation 12, verse 11. They overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life even unto death. Now, I want you to underline the word because of the word of their testimony. They overcame because of the word of their testimony. What does it mean? Uh, I think Mr. Sparks is quite right. And I heard him some years ago in saying that he believes that this verse is connected with the testimony of Jesus. That's true, but let's look at it like this. That if it's the testimony of Jesus, the testimony that Jesus himself was, what is, does it mean, the word of the testimony? The word of our testimony. 
What does it mean? Doesn't it mean that with the mouth, we don't express aspirations, we don't express hopes, we don't express theories, we express facts. We say, Lord, thou art my life. Or we say, he is my life. Word of my testimony. Now, if the devil can only push us back and sort of say, now, God, just wait, just wait. You're getting a bit presumptuous. Now, you just say, please be my life. That's all right. I'll let you say that. So we say, please be my life. And of course, he is my life, but I don't feel any assurance. So next evening, I say, oh, please be my life. I get through the next day, just survive. And then I get on my knees and I say, please be my life. It's not the word of my testimony. Now, what happens when, if I were to say, the Lord Jesus, by the grace of God, is my life. What's happened? Suddenly there's a release in me. You see, the devil can get us on this reality business to, into a vicious circle. He can breathe there and say, now don't you say anything that's not true of you. Because if you say something that's not true of you, it's a lie. And then he knows jolly well he's caught us. Because from then on we shall start saying, please do this, please do that. Please be this, please be that. And never will we go over to the unshakable fact. But once we say, he is my salvation, that moment I'm released. Now, have any of you known that? Have you ever known a point when you're down, a bit depressed, downcast, and suddenly, perhaps in a time of worship or praise, it suddenly dawned on you, someone else has said something, and it's kindled in you. And you say, he is my salvation. And the moment you said, thank you, Lord, you saved me, that moment you felt something broke. You felt a meat. What has happened? You didn't say, please, Lord, save me. I feel rather bad. I'm not quite sure I've been saved. I'm feeling down. But you said, Lord, thank you. You saved me. That was the word of your testimony. If we confess with the mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in the heart that God raised him, we shall be saved. So in other words, the word of our testimony is expressing facts. I feel awful, but thanks be to thee, thou art on the throne. That the devil can't bear. Lord, I'm in a fiery furnace, but thank you. I'll either die here for you or I'll come out with you. He can't do anything about that. That's a word of our testimony. Dear Lord, I don't know. I feel a bit broken and empty. But Lord, you are my fullness. You are my fullness. That's the word of your testimony. You see, it's a question of seeing unshakable facts. Once you start to see that, the secondary facts fall into place. Once you see that he has obtained, for instance, the promise of the Father for you, you can claim the promise of the Spirit for yourself. Can't you? You need. You're empty. You know there's a need. What holds you back? The thing that holds us back so often is, I don't think I'm ready. So what do we mean, I don't think I'm ready? What we mean is this. I think I've got to work a bit harder. Oh, so you receive the Spirit by the works of the law. I didn't know that. Now I'm learning something. 
I didn't know that you received the Spirit by the works of the law. You've got to do something, have you? Of course. Oh, of course. I mean, uh, no, you haven't. You'll never, you'll never know the fullness or the power of the Holy Spirit that way or anything else to do with the Holy Spirit that way. Only when you see that the Lord Jesus has obtained the promise for you by his own blood and by his own work. And when you see that through his untold suffering and agony, he has given it to you, that moment you will receive as you receive everything else. You will say, thank you, Lord, that's mine. And you'll go on your way rejoicing. And God will manifest it in his own good time. And he will. As you continue to praise the Lord, something will happen in your life. And you'll know the Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. My brother Shaw and I, just before the meeting, we said to the Lord, your spirit and my, our spirit and our spirit and yours, they witness. We are thine. Brother Shaw said, Amen. Well, we're a pretty ropey couple. <laughs> when it comes to it, I mean, how come we are so certain that we've got the Holy Spirit, that, that the Lord is in us, that something's inside of us? How can we presume to say you're in us, Lord? It's because of these primary facts, not because we're anything at all, but because we know that the Lord has done this for us, and by grace, it's ours. Oh, how we can paralyze God. Do you know how you can paralyze God? If there's anyone here who wants to know how to paralyze God, I am now going to tell you. So sit up, take out your notebook, and put down these points, how to paralyze God. The most effective way, the simplest, and most effective way to paralyze God is simply not to believe. Then all these facts mean nothing to you. Now, that's true. You can sit there and in 40 years' time, when I'm an old gentleman with pure white hair, <laughs> you'll be sitting there just the same, spiritually. You'll be also probably old and white here. Some of you will have gone. But you will have the same problem. Isn't that terrible? Forty years and the same problem? Why? Because you sat there saying all along, no, 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 not for me. It, not for me. It couldn't happen to me. The way to paralyze God in any way, personal or corporate, is not to believe. Simply to cut yourself off from the unshakable facts. Now there are many other ways to paralyze God which you were expecting me to say. Sin. So on and so forth. But I tell you, quite honestly, the simplest and easiest way is just not to believe. Then it doesn't matter all that God has done coming, the life and ministry of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, the obtaining and giving of the promise, the building of God's hope, even the coming again of the Lord, you're cut off from it. It's a wonderful doctrine, but it doesn't work. It doesn't really work. That 
that's the most simple way to paralyze God. Now shall I tell you how to enter the facts. How to enter into an experience of all that, that, that this, these great facts have obtained. By believing. By believing is quite simple. How did you get in? A good question. How did you get into the family? When I look at some of the Lord's dear people, I have to ask myself many a time, how did you get in? And I know jolly well that some of them are asking that about me. How did you get in? How did we get in? Oh, by the grace of God, we got in because of what he did. We got in not because we were anything, but because of this. So tremendous. That's how we got in. Do you know how you can enter into anything more? The same way you initially entered. By faith. So simple. Now you might wonder what this is doing here. It's not because I thought you might get a little bored and therefore would like to hear a little bit of worldly music or something, but rather that I thought this would be an excellent illustration and then having a somewhat muzzy head forgot to bring it. Here is a radio. It doesn't mean a thing, does it? The fact is this. At this very moment, there is a radio program. You can't hear it. And you can't see it. There is no evidence at all that there is a radio program. I'll tell you something else. In this sacred and holy atmosphere, in this room, that radio program is, in fact, flitting through this room. Sometimes that may be why well, sometimes we need to take the cleansing of the blood for some of the things that go through. You can't see it. You can't hear it. Supposing you were to say, rubbish, absolute nonsense. There's no such thing as a radio program. I can't see it. I can't hear it. There is absolutely not one shred of evidence for a radio program. And as for saying that the things flitting through this room, that's nonsense. Well, listen, I hope, I don't know what's on because I don't listen to the radio. And the sea. This was the one period in the entire voyage when he might have felt the satisfaction... Do you believe Now, how did that get in here? That's a good question. How did that get in here? Now, as you know, I'm a very untechnical person. All I know is that I put on a switch. That was faith. Fact, faith, experience. Fact, a radio program. Faith, immensely worthwhile experience. Experience. I'm listening to the gentleman. That's my experience. I'm hearing him. Isn't it simple? Do you know God is here? Do you know that these great facts are present, in a sense, in this room? All the power and effectiveness, efficacy of the death of Christ, all the boundless power of his resurrection, all the mighty 
transcendency of his ascension. It's all in this room. The obtaining and giving of the promise. The blessed promise of the Father is here. Oh, you say, no, 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 no. Not in these meetings. I have to go to other meetings for that. <laughs> oh, you're wrong. The Holy Spirit is here. Just as the Lord Jesus is here. They're all here. It's you and I that are wrong. Now, maybe we have failed. I don't know. That's another question. But the fact of the matter is that the Holy Spirit is here. It's whether we turn on, whether we tune in, whether we press the switch of faith. That moment we do that, the whole thing flows into action. What happens? Experience. People have needs met. People meet the Lord. People are touched. We move on together. Why? What has made the difference? Well, someone says, of course, the fact of the matter is that the Lord wasn't there, and afterwards he was there. That's nonsense. The Lord was there. The difference was faith. <laughs> Do you know that we could have a meeting here, and the Lord is here, and he comes in and goes out unnoticed? Pray God that that shall not be so about us. But, oh, I can think of companies, I can think of groups of Christians who meet, and frankly, I think the Lord comes in and he stands and he waits. And they go through the old system, sing a hymn, say a prayer, something else, and out the Lord goes. He's been there. No one has tuned in. No one has switched on faith. No one has got into living contact. Laodicea. But you say, I don't quite understand. That's it. Fact, faith, experience. Oh, if only I could see that there were heavenly radio waves, but much more than that. If I could only see that in this room, the very life of heaven was flowing through it. If I could only see that the power of heaven was flowing through this room. If I could only see that the finished work of Jesus Christ and all its efficacy and effectiveness was here available. If I could only see that the mighty name of Jesus was actually here in this room to be used and the authority of it exercised, what would happen? But it is all here. It's faith that switches on. Now, where there is no faith, there is no experience. Fact, faith, experience. The moment I switch on... The decks to a depth of about... There he is again. He's there all the time. Listen. <laughs> He's back again. He's on again. He's on again. Strange, isn't it? Some Christians are just like that. Switch on and off all the time, don't they? When they don't want to hear, they switch off. And when they think there might be something for self, they switch on. But oh, for grace, that we might be switched on. And that heaven could flow just completely through us. Well, now, there we are. Look, our time's nearly gone again. But uh, I think, and I don't think they'll be um, embarrassed if I mention it. You see, we've got, we've got evidence of this, I think, of this kind of thing, when it comes to the corporate. There are a number of things to do with the corporate where we can honestly say we're facing big problems. 
Now, the enemy is entrenched on those things, and he's going to stay entrenched on, to, on those things till we all rise up and say, this is a lie. This is an absolute lie. The enemy is not no right here. Now, the way I look at it, not that it would help you, but the sort of childish way I sort of tend to look at it is this. I always ask myself, is that true of the Lord Jesus? So people say to me, oh, I think there's a blockade here. Then I say to myself, is that true of the Lord Jesus? Is there any blockade? Could he be blockaded? Now from our angle down here, of course, there could be a blockade. But from his point of view, there's no blockade, is there? I feel the Lord, the Lord is limited. Down here, that may be true. But is it true of him? Well, why should we accept what's down here if it's not true of him? As he is, so are we in this world. So we can't get out of that. In this world. So why accept it? Now, the thing that's seen is the limitation. Oh, there's plenty of evidence for it. And it's sometimes satanic. But if we leap over to the primary facts and say, that's not so. He has led captivity captive, not only personally, but corporately. There's no such thing. We'll, we'll take freedom there. Well, I, I wish I could say it much more simply. I can only say this, you see. I think, take Paul. Now, we can all say this because we all know him and he knows us. Some year or so ago, he spoke. And the thing that so many of us have, great fear, his mind went blank halfway through in front of a whole company and he had to sit down. Well, now, that's the kind of thing that happens. I remember the first time I ever spoke, uh, something like that happened with me. And well, actually, the folk at Tuesday they wept and wept and wept with laughter, but still I won't, I won't go into all that. I suppose it was very funny at the time. And my, it was the most humiliating thing for me. I was a bit proud. I found it humiliating. Well, now, that's the end of any ministry, isn't it? Now, you just think some of you can't hardly pray in a prayer meeting because you're frightened your mind might go blank. And you sort of and then stop altogether. And then you have those dreadful fears that everyone will find and say, Amen! <laughs> and that will drive you like a hammer into the ground. That's the end of you. <laughs> now the devil comes to, to a person like Paul or to any of you, put yourself in the same shoes. I'm going to use it as an illustration. and says, oh, could you open your mouth again? Because the same thing's going to happen. So what's he to do? What should he do? Now the reason the Lord so anointed him the last time, which everyone agrees, is because it was from faith. It wasn't that he'd spent an hour or two mugging it up, or anything else, he may have done that. But it was faith. He stepped forward knowing full well, what might happen if I break down? Well, God's going to get the glory somehow out of this. Forward. David's the same. There's another example of it. Sort of introspective feeling all the time. Finally forward, and the anointing is there. Now, how come the anointing is there? 
Someone else sort of says it all and says, now you watch, this Sunday, they're going to get it. <laughs> the new Martin Luther is going to start his ministry this Sunday. The new John Wesley is now going to be launched. Oh, but it's true, we laugh, but it's in us all. My word, what ideas we've got for each one of us, for ourselves. And how those ideas have to be broken and shaved until we come to the place where unless there is a living faith in primary facts, we will never go forward. So the first stage is we're full of fleshly energy, we're going to do it. The second stage is we're broken, we'll never do anything. And if we stay there, we never will. The third stage is forward in faith. Now, if I put on the, the board here as the secondary fact, building, can anyone give me a scripture for that? Building work, we'll say. Now, I'm not talking about the... Can anyone help me? A scripture, please, for building work. Building work, of the, yes? What? Ephesians 4... Could you read it, Doug? He gave some to be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, the perfecting of the saints, unto the work of ministering, unto the building up of the body of Christ, till we all attain unto the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a full-grown man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So here is the first thing that's come out of the ascension of Christ. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, pastors and teachers, evangelists. What for? For the work of the ministry. The building up of the body. There's one great thing, isn't it? Can anyone else give me another scripture? Another scripture. Jude 20. Now what does that say? Yeah. Yes, good. Building up our, yourselves, all of you, in your most holy faith. Keep yourself in the love of God. Now we'll come back here. Two other scriptures I'm looking for, if anyone can help us, and maybe others. 1 Peter 2, yes. What's that? You also as living stones are built up a spiritual house. Yes. Yes, well, I think we'll hang on to that one till um, the next point. What's that say? Yes, that's good. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Now, there is another. Of course, there's, uh, surely I would have thought someone would have got it. 1 Corinthians 12.28. Someone read that? He hath set some in the church. Could someone read it? set some in the church. First apostles, secondly prophets, thirdly teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, yes. helps, governments, divers, yes. and tongues. Building work. Building work. Now, there's different kinds of building work. In the problems that face us, there are first of all great 
ministries, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. We need to pray that the enemy shall be his power to prevent such coming into being shall be broken. Right? The second thing is, that's building work of one kind. Now, another kind of building work is general contribution. I think we've got that in Romans 12. I'll put that down here. Romans 12, 6, and I'll put FF meaning following, because it's the rest of the verses after that, where it says, <coughs> whatever anyone has, can someone read it? Yeah. Yes. Right. And then it goes on to all the other kinds of things that there are. Then also, I think this Jude here, 20, we could also put with that Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 which speaks of growing up into the head and then the from whom the body fitly framed and knit together, then goes on, increaseth in the, buildeth up itself in love. So now we have these kind of bigger ministries, then we have all the general contribution, all kinds of gifts and ministries and uh, so on in the, in, in the body, and then we have love. What is another way of building up the body of Christ. <coughs> yes, I, I, I was just thinking perhaps of worship. Really, I, I often think of that, we think always of that in love as meaning just love for one another, which of course it must mean. <coughs> but I sometimes think it also means love for the Lord. That as we all love the Lord with all our heart and praise him and worship him and are devoted to him, so the body is just built up. Now, let's be free here. I mean, do, are there any who feel somehow or other that they have a contribution to make and they're not making it? If you do, just put your hand up and we'll pray together. Feel you've got a, a, a contribution to make, and you're not really making it as you walk. No one feels that. You, yeah. Well, we'll pray. Are there any here who feel, particularly brothers in this matter, who feel uh, that the Lord really wants them to move into something in these other uh, spheres? And we don't worry about thinking that we are going to think you're big-headed. What we're going to ask is that the Lord will sort it out. Does anyone feel that perhaps the Lord is calling them to evangelist or prophet or pastor, teacher in the body and that um, he has his hand on them for this? We pray. Yes. Any others? Because what we want to do is pray together. The Lord sought out that. Well, now, let's just have a little word of prayer together, shall we, and pray. Perhaps one or two could pray for one another. God would really just make clear these things, bringing those who are uh, 
thing that's right into being and closing down what isn't. Dear Lord, we pray together that thou wilt really thyself, Lord, release all that is of thyself amongst us. We praise thee, Lord, that when thou didst ascend on high, thou didst lead, lead captivity captive. And we want to pray, Lord, that as a company we shall know what it is, all of us, to be built up in our most holy faith. That we may see the Lord Jesus Christ built up in our midst. That we may see an increase with the increase of God. And Lord, we tell thee we are against everything that limits thee, everything that restricts thee. Oh Lord, hear us as together we set this before thee. Free everyone in whom there is a real bondage in this matter. Some fear, Lord, of contributing. Where it isn't of thyself, show it, Lord, we pray, by thy spirit, so that we may be absolutely clear and on a basis of truth. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. praise thee that it says in Ephesians that there is grace given to everyone yes. according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Yeah. We praise thee, Lord, for our, our experience of thy grace. And we take grace, Lord, for thee yes. who acknowledge their need before thee. We praise thee, Lord, that we can, Lord, take thy grace for them. Yes. Pray, Lord, that they shall reach out in faith and take that grace of God which is there. Amen. We praise thee, Lord, too, that it says that I'm able to make all grace abound toward us, that we having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. Yes. Lord, we all need that kind of grace. Mm. We praise the Lord is ours in Christ. Yes. We bless in his name. Amen. Now there's another one I'll just put up here, perhaps you can find. I'm going to put it under the general heading of the conflict. Now, of course, immediately, surely, you'll know some scriptures there. How we need to pray for that building work, I don't think many of you have got hold of what I'm really trying to get at. But need to pray, I think of that great work in India and uh, the assemblies in India and the need for ministry and so on, because over years it hasn't been recognized that the enemy has, has limited, has, has, has held back, because we haven't, haven't risen up and banged it on the head. Same with us. We need to. If the communists ever come or anyone else comes, and then some of us are taken away, what we need to pray is that maybe those amongst us raised up of God to take place all the way through, ready of God, equipped by God. Now let's um, say the conflict. Anyone got a scripture for that, quickly? Ephesians 6, 12. Ephesians 6, 12 to... Just read the first verse or two, will you? Of that, for we are not contending against flesh and blood, 
but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Yes. Therefore. Yes, and so on. So there's a great conflict we're in. Now, has anyone another scripture? Yes. Revelation 12, 11. And they overcame. Yes. The blood of the Lamb. Yes. The word of their testimony. Fine. Love not the life. Praise the Lord, yes. Can anyone else? Time's going. What's that now? One Peter five eight. Now the one I was thinking about, I better give it to you, uh, to, is this one, which I think is tremendous. I want you to look at it. Two Corinthians ten, uh, from three to um, five. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Now mark that, not of, but mighty through God to the casting down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that is exalted against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now I think that's a tremendous verse because it says we have got weapons mighty through God to the casting down of strongholds of Satan. Throwing of them down. And casting down of imaginations. Now anyone who knows anything about imaginations in spiritual warfare, you know how terrible they are. These are the very things I call phantoms. But they don't appear to be phantoms. When we're up against them, they appear to be absolute truth, reality. But they're actual imaginations. These are the things we need to take these great facts for. Where are we? We stand in Christ. And having done all we stand, we don't go out and try and do something, we stand. But we don't yield. Why should the enemy say, you can't touch this situation, it's far too much? Why should the enemy come in and say, right, you're going to have a bad time house to housework? Because I said so, that's why. Oh dear. Well, better bring it up on Tuesday. Or, no one will come in from fishing, at least if they do, they won't get saved. Why should the devil get away with these things? Why should the forces of darkness get away with these things? They have no right to, have they? So, I mean, here we have a conflict. Now, what should we do about this conflict? Well, as I say, things to ask ourselves, is Christ blockaded? Is Christ paralyzed? Is Christ limited? Of course not. Then what shall we do? Shall we sort of fight? No. Let's just stay together and announce the facts. And if we announce the facts, the strongholds are thrown down. Because the strongholds are phantoms. Or they may, they may be terribly real, and flesh and blood at times. You know, entrenched in flesh and blood. But they'll collapse when we announce the facts. Once we say, we announce the name of the Lord over this. Or we proclaim 
the absolute triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ over this situation. Now then, someone says, well, we did that and nothing happened. Right. Because like Jericho, they had to go around seven days, and on the seventh day, they had to go around seven times. Just keep on. Don't accept the devil's lies and propaganda. Just say, no, 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 this isn't true. The fact is this. All right. So the enemy comes to me and says, you know, in Richmond, I've got a quite powerful world ruler of darkness. One of my hierarchy. That's why you have a bad time. You go there, that's why there's a lot of that heaviness and so on. Yeah, I mean, you can't do anything about it. See, I mean, the whole world lies in the evil one. You, of course you know that, don't you? It's in your Bible. And uh, I've got power in this matter, so you understand that. Well, now, well, I'm not laughing at the devil, by the way. So what happens? We start to say, oh, yeah. Well, I suppose that is right. He's very powerful. Very, very powerful. That's not the fact. The fact is the Lord Jesus is far above all principality and power. And he's only got to say to the world ruler, whoever it is here, it was all whatever, the local ruler of darkness, you give that one up. And instantly that one's given up. And if here the Lord Jesus, now I want to do that, but what happens? Oh, the company at Halford House, they're having a terrible time. There they are all sitting, looking at each other, you see. And they're all oh, isn't it awful? Oh, we're having such a tough time. Oh, dear. And the Lord's saying, oh, come on, come on. Proclaim the fact. You're going out on the Wednesday time from house to house, but you're not proclaiming the fact. Proclaim the fact. Come on. But oh, no, we're... So-and-so's fallen out with so-and-so. So-and-so's got a boil on their foot. So-and-so's grandma's just fallen down the stairs. So-and-so's had a terrible day at the office. So-and-so's got some deep depression. So-and-so's argued with so-and-so. And we feel, oh, it's no good. It's no good at all. But that's just the time to say, who is Lord? Not the devil. Now when we do that, we announce the name of the Lord, the powers of darkness yield. Why? Because the Lord Jesus said, I'm not saying that we do it without him. But the moment we say, we are here as the guarantee that Richmond belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that the earth and the fullness thereof is his. And that his inheritance is here in Richmond. And the elect people of God are here in Richmond, every one that God has foreknown. We're here to proclaim that the devil has absolutely no right or power over any single one of them. We don't take the devil on and hurl epithets at him. All we're doing is announcing facts. And as we announce those facts, the powers of darkness have to yield because it's truth. We're not saying to the devil, look, we're going to try and kid you. We're going to blow some trumpets. We're going to sing a big hymn in an emotional way and try to frighten you. Because we think that if we sing loud enough and shout loud enough, somehow or other you'll be deceived into believing that this is the truth. That's how sometimes we, we act as if we believe that kind of thing. That's not true. The devil knows better than any person in this room that the truth is this. This is the truth, and he knows it. And he'll do anything in his power to divorce us from this. 
and to keep us in darkness so that we will not rise up and announce the facts. But once we say, he is risen from the dead, oh, how he hates it. Have we not found it again and again, even on a Sunday morning? As soon as we say he's risen from the dead, we sing something about the resurrection, we proclaim it as a facts word of our testimony. We don't say, we think he's risen from the dead. Maybe he's risen from the dead. We hope he's risen from the dead. We say, Christ is risen. Hallelujah. And that moment, something shattered. When we break bread and drink wine, and when we do it from the heart, it's a proclaiming of the Lord's death. The devil hates it because he sees in that loaf broken something that is the end of his reign. He sees in that wine distributed the end. It's hit. It's a fact. The devil hates baptism. Why? Because it's this, this, and this, and this. He hates it. If he sees a person baptized, he doesn't bother about the person being baptized. He probably thinks some of them, oh, weak as water, I'll get them. Just leave it to me. Next week, they probably think they're a bit up. I'll get them. But he hates the thing. Why? Because it's a reenactment of Calvary. And as he sees it, two great facts stare at him in the eyes. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he hates it. Well, you see, we could go on and we could go on. Outreach, building up, fulfillment. These things corporately. What are we going to do? Are we going to accept that the enemy is going to put a kind of veto on fishing, a veto on evangelistic work, a veto on house to house, so that we just struggle through? Or are we going to say, these are the facts. God has an elect people in this town, and they're going to be saved. Praise God for that. They're going to be saved. Not because Lance Lambert is anything, not because so-and-so is anything, or not because we together are anything, but because God has said it. They are the elect people of God, and they're going to be saved. Come what may, come wind, come weather, they're going to be saved. Well, when that happens, all our hearts rise. You see, just because I believe this, I can see a smile on some faces that had a gloom earlier, but I fear that the gloom will return because it's not in you yet. If God can get it into you, then you will be an encouragement to others because you will say, yes, that is true. How we love that great hymn of Luther. And mighty fortresses our God of Bulwark never fail. Because it breathes faith. We love it. But oh that it was in us. Why did the man have such faith that he overthrew a Roman system? Because he saw unshakable facts. And he saw that if Rome came into collision with these unshakable facts. Rome would be broken. And <laughs> Rome was broken. And so Luther could go on being his bold self because he knew it was God's business. Leave it to God. The Pope wants to take on God. I know who's going to win, he once said. That's the kind of attitude we need. Well, uh, we'll have to finish. We could talk about the unity of Christ and all the kind of thing that stopped the building up together. Doug mentioned that scripture about being built up together as living stones, giving diligence to maintain the unity of the Spirit. How we need to pray? Announce things. Shall we say, we're not one? Never. What we're going to say is, he is our oneness. 
Some of us have fallen out of it too bad, but he is our oneness, and we're not going to accept any other basis, and we're going to announce it and say, Jesus Christ is our only oneness. We stay there. We'll never be budged from that. We're not going to add some other experience or anything else. He is our oneness by the Spirit of God and by the grace of God. We stay there. But oh, sometimes some of these things that cause all the trouble, how we need to nail them. Because they're the devices of the enemy. Sometimes it's just critical spirit, isn't it? Sometimes it's collision with this one or that one we can't don't get on. Sometimes it's just simply that we've got a complex. Oh, complexes. What they do in the family of God. When we take it out on others, and it becomes a, an irritation, but thank God we've got the way through. It's not bigger than him. You need grace. Grace to fulfill your ministry. Then you have grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So whatever Christ, gift of Christ has been given to you, apostle, pastor, teacher, evangelist, or anything else, you've got grace. Get it. It's a fact. It says so in Ephesians. So take it. Don't just say, I don't think I've got enough equipment. Say, thank God. If he's given me this, I've got the grace to use it. Praise him. I'll go forward. And open your mouth in prayer next time and say, the Lord, I believe, wants me to open my mouth in prayer. Don't say that. But say it to your heart. <laughs> I believe the Lord wants me to open my mouth and praise him. Grace, Lord. I remember dear Auntie Ella. She used to go down here every day. Every single day she was 89 to that very busy road at the bottom there. And she used to stand by the, the traffic box. And I used to sometimes say to her, would you like a help across the road? I don't need you, dear. She said, I've got the Lord. But I said, Auntie, do be practical. All that raging cars going back uh, along there, you know, swinging around the corner. No, she said, my dear boy, I remember what Stuart Holden once said. You don't get grace sufficient before your need, not after your need, but when you need it. And when I get down here, I put up my hand and I say, Lord, grace sufficient for the traffic. And it all stops. <laughs> well, it stopped for her every day of her life in the, her last years. Grace, because it was an act of faith. Now, I've seen many old people down there holding up their hand and not a bus has stopped. But I used to see Auntie Yellow again and again going across like Moses of the Red Sea. <laughs> Piled up on one side as she went across safely onto the other side and sang her song of worship and praise on the part. A little thing. But you see, it was grace sufficient. A dear lady once met um, F.B. Meyer on a bus and she said, oh, I'm so lonely, I'm so unhappy. He said to her, my dear, there's grace sufficient for you. Go home, boil the kettle, make a cup of tea, sit down and say, Lord, have this cup of tea with me. A year or two later, in a convention, this little lady went up with a beaming face to F.B. And she said, Dr. F.B. Meyer, I hardly know how to tell you. My whole life has been changed by the little cup of tea and grace. I've had a little cup of tea, and from that moment I found the Lord sat the other side of the table, and I began to hear him, and I began to commune with him, and I've never been lonely that day to this. Grace sufficient. You need grace? You need power? Power? Power to fulfill whatever God has given you? You can have power. It's yours. What is it you need? It is yours in Christ, if only you will see the 
unshakable bank. May God help.